We're going to shout a praise tonight. God, you are so good. God, you are so great. You are the only one worthy of praise. Amen. Amen. Hey, before you grab a seat, turn to your neighbor and say, you look good tonight. And now your other neighbor feels left out. All right, guys. Well, hey, tonight we are wrapping up our series that we've been doing called Let Us Pray as we've been just kind of walking verse by verse through Ephesians chapter 3, which is the Apostles Paul prayer for the church in Ephesus. Pastor Paul, he helped plant this church and he loved this church and this church is actually really kind of like a blueprint and model of what the church today is supposed to look like. And one of the things that we've been talking about is you really get to know somebody's heart when you listen to their prayers. And so if you want to know what Paul's heart for the church is, it's found in Ephesians chapter 3. At the beginning of the book, he goes in and he's really just talking about doctrine. And at the end of the book, he's talking about the application to life. But right here in Ephesians chapter 3, he just breaks out like a Disney musical does in a song. He just breaks out in the middle of a prayer. And you really get to understand what Paul's heart for the church is. And it really is a heart that the church would be a praying church. And one of the things that we've been discussing is the importance of the first Wednesday night prayer meeting. I've repeated to you over and over again the, the story of our church, that by and large, our church, when we started, was not a praying church. Now, we would give lip service to prayer, and we would talk about how prayer was important to us. But if you were just to look on the behind the scenes or lift up the hood of the church and you would get down in the engine, prayer wasn't even really a part of it. We believed more in blueprints and schematics. We believed more in books and blogs and pop signs and parking signs and Facebook ads and looking really cool and having really, you know, the, the most uh, modern worship and all the different stage sets and designs. And we would think that that was what was the secret to growing a church. And that really worked well for up until the grand opening. And then nobody kept coming to our church. <laughs> And after about three years of working and doing everything that we could to grow the church, I was praying and asking God, I was saying, God, how come our church is stuck? God, why will our church just not grow? Why are we not seeing lives change? Why are we not seeing salvations? Why are we not seeing more baptisms? And the Lord told me straight up, he said, Byron, it's because you don't pray. That you're not praying as a church. You've done everything that you can do up until this point, and look what, look, look what that's got you. But wait until you see what I can do. Invite me into that church. Invite my presence. Invite my power. Invite me to come and work in the church through your prayers and just watch what I'll do. And so we took up that challenge, and when we moved into this new building, we just really began having prayer meetings. And you can trace an exponential growth of our church based upon the prayer meeting. The more church prays, the more God answers the prayers of that church. 
The more the church prays, the more power the church sees in it and through it. The more the church prays, the more effective the church will be. And that's exactly what we've seen. Since we started the prayer meeting, we have seen more souls saved, more lives changed, more baptisms. We've seen the church continue to grow. We are actually larger now than we were before COVID ever happened. And this Sunday, we're going to have a baptism Sunday. We already have 17 signups for the baptism. I believe that we're going to hit 30 by baptism, which means this year we will have baptized over 90 people this year alone. And I believe that that is in a large part due to the prayer meeting. Since we've begun the prayer meeting, we have really renovated and moved into this building. But as we've been praying and believing that God was going to provide a new space for us, not only did we buy a new building, but we bought this entire city block. And that's what happens when the church prays. And that's what prayer, uh, Paul's prayer for the church is. Paul's prayer is that the church would be a, a church that praise. And so we've been looking through this and really motivating, inspiring, and trying to empower us as a church to continue what this looks like in prayer. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. I'm going to read it all. And I want to just ask this question What is prayer? There's a lot of different answers that people give to that question. Some people say prayer is just talking to God, prayer is just communicating with God. But I think Paul gives us a, a really lengthy and weighty definition of what prayer actually looks like and why prayer is so important for us. And I want to do this closing sermon about what is prayer, because I know there's a lot of people who do struggle with prayer. That you think, well, prayer kind of seems more like talking to myself than it seems like talking to God. That prayer seems like I'm, I'm, I'm saying things and they're stopping at the ceiling and it's not really going anywhere. And it feels silly, it feels foolish, it feels like it's not really accomplishing much in my life. And so because people struggle with understanding what prayer is, I'm going to close this sermon with a, 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 a lengthy definition of what Paul gives us that prayer is. And so I'm going to read it all up front, and then we're going to work our way through the back end. The, the first verse says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you will be filled with all of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask, think, or imagine according to the power at work within us. And to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. One of the things that I always encourage us when it comes to, to praying and to the life of the church is this, is that it's prayer that unlocks the power of God in the life of a believer and in the life of the church. This is what the Apostle Paul says right here. The Apostle Paul says that we may be filled with the fullness and the full measure of God and that we can ask God to answer prayers and he will respond with the power that is at work within us. The power doesn't come from us. The power comes from God and it's that power within us that unlocks us seeing what God wants to do in the life of the church. 
And when we want to see breakthrough, we want to see a move of God, when we want to see answers, we want to see that blessed life, when we want to see people get saved, we want to see friends and family members sit next to us, we want to see healings, we want to see miracles, we want to see whatever it is, all that comes from prayer. Because on your own, you can only do so much, but with God, then all things become possible. And so I don't know why you're here at the first Wednesday prayer night. Maybe it's just because you want to be able to give glory back to God for everything that he's done in your life. Praise the Lord for you. That is the power of God at work in your life. And as you continue to glorify God, his power is going to be revealed in you and through you, and you're going to see him do amazing things around you. Maybe you're here because you're going through something. I don't know what that something may be, but as you begin to pray, you're inviting God's presence and unlocking God's power in that situation. So if you're praying here for your marriage, prayer is what unlocks the power of God within the marriage. If you're single and you're trying to overcome temptation and to live a life of godliness in the midst of your single season, it's going to be prayer that is going to give you the power to be able to overcome those struggles and those temptations and remain content within your singleness. If you're going through a divorce, then it's going to be prayer that is going to give you peace, that is going to give you strength, that is going to give you comfort. It's not going to be going talking to all of your other divorced friends who's going to gossip and complain and make you feel bitter and worse, not better. That's not going to help it. That's complaining. That's not praying. If you want to be able to unlock God's power in that season of your life, it's going to come through prayer. Whatever situation, if it's a financial situation, we heard story after story recently of what God has been doing through our tithe challenge. People who have begun tithing, trusting God in their finances through prayer and through tithing and generosity that God has over and over again begun to show himself faithful in those things. It's prayer that unlocks the power of God in that situation. It's prayer that brings prodigal sons and daughters back home. I was talking with a, a woman in the church. Her, her son has walked away from the Lord, walked away from the church. He is now on drugs, and he is getting into some bad situations. She said, Pastor, what can I do? And it sounds like it's not a helpful answer, but here's what I told her. The only thing you can do is pray. You just keep praying, you keep praying. And then when you're tired of praying, you keep praying again. That's how my grandmother got me back in the church. It was, it was a, a faithful group of people in her church that fasted for about six months every single week for me. And after those six months of praying, it was that God cashed in those prayers and I came back into the church into a vibrant relationship with God and God answered those prayers and I'm living proof that prayer works. Whatever it is, it is prayer that unlocks the power of God in your life. So if you're praying for marriage, it's prayer that unlocks the power of God. If you're praying for your children, it's prayer that unlocks the power of God. If you're praying for relationships or finances, if you're praying for physical illness, it's prayer that unlocks the power that's able to heal. Just the other week, whenever we were teaching over Joshua chapter 10, the sun stands still prayer that he prayed. There was a man who watched this online. I talked to him today. He said, Pastor, you preached that. I was not able to clench my fist for over three months. And he has a, a job where he works by doing construction and, and labor. And he said, for three months, I couldn't close my hand. So I went to the doctor and they couldn't figure it out. And I sat there in that doctor's office and nobody came and saw me. So I got up and walked out. And 
then I remembered that you pray, you said pray bold prayers. So I said, God, please heal my, my hand. And then for the first time in three months, I was able to clench my fist. And one week later, I can still grip and clench my fist. God has healed me from this. What is it? It's because he prayed. Prayer unlocks the power of God in your life. And this is what Paul's prayer is. Paul's prayer is that the church would not be a weak church, would not be a passive church, but would be a powerful church. And that's what happens when the church begins to pray. And so here's what I want to do. I want to just walk through this section. I'm going to give you a little acronym, okay? All right, an acronym. I'm going to spell out prayer, and this is going to be kind of what our definition is. I want to flesh this out a little bit for us. So what is prayer? If you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. P-R-A-Y-E-R, prayer. And the first thing, did I spell it right? I went to public school, okay? Did I spell it right? All right. P-R-A-Y-E-R, prayer. The first thing is this, is that prayer is personal. Look what it says in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I want you to look at that. It's just one letter, but that one letter is so critical when it comes to understanding what prayer is. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Prayer is personal. Listen, no one can pray for you. You say, well, I thought that's what the prayer team does when I come up here. They pray for me. No, no, no. They pray with you. But nobody can pray for you. That is personal between you and that is between God. Listen, I can pray, I can pray with you when it comes to the situations that you're going through. But there has to become a point to where you take ownership of your own prayer life and then you stop expecting other people to pray for you, but then you own that responsibility and you pray for yourself to God. It is a personal thing that you must do with God. I can believe with you. I can intercede with you. I can talk with you. I can point you to Jesus and we can have a little prayer meetings and you can come forward and you can receive prayer, but that's never gonna replace the personal relationship that you have with God through prayer. So just imagine if, if you were married and you just keep saying, hey, Pastor Byron, you know, can you take my wife out on a date? No, I cannot. You know why? Because my wife would be mad. I would lose my job. That's weird. Okay, I can't date your wife. Okay, we're, we're, that's not the religion that we're a part of. I can't do that. That's your responsibility. I can't raise your kids. I'm having a hard enough time raising my kids. Right? This is an ownership thing. You got to take ownership of your own prayer life because, number one, prayer is personal. Paul says, I'm taking responsibility for my prayers. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. You must develop rhythms in your own life that help sustain your prayer life. Number one, prayer is personal. Number two, prayer is relational. He says this. His father, he says the word father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Not only is prayer personal, but it's also relational. This is why the prayer meeting is so important. He's praying personally, yes, but who is he praying for? He's praying for other people. He's praying to God the Father, and then he's praying for his brothers and sisters. This is why the prayer meeting, this is why corporate prayer is incredibly important because when we pray together, there is a concentrated effect that it has before the Father to where it perks up his ears and he listens to him. This is the reason why I believe that the prayer meeting is foundational for where we are heading together as a church because I just think it's impossible as God as a Father 
father to just sit there for three years and listen to his children cry out and call out to him. God show up, God move, and for him to turn a deaf ear to that. Because when your voice and my voice, when we collectively call out to the Father, it catches heaven's attention and he responds in prayer. God is a father and we are brothers and sisters and the church is a family. And so yet we pray for one another. Prayer is personal, but at the same time, prayer is also relational. This is why I pray with you. This is why we pray together. This is why prayer is vital to our small groups. Because when we gather, we, we pray for one another in that meeting as well. And so prayer is personal, prayer is relational. Number three, prayer is asking. It says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your innermost being. What is he doing there? He is making a request before God. He's saying, I'm praying to God for my friends, for my church, and what is he doing? He is asking God that they would be strengthened and that they would have the power through his spirit in their innermost being so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Prayer is asking God. And sometimes we really struggle with this. I asked in our Joshua series, what's one of the biggest struggles you have in prayer? People feel bad asking God for things because different reasons. One, they don't feel like they deserve it. Two, they feel like their problems really aren't that big. They don't feel like they've lived a worthy enough life. And maybe they just feel like God is distant and detached and far off and uninterested in their own life. And so they don't like asking God for certain things. And then on the other hand, some people, they don't ask God because they just don't think that God's going to answer or that God's going to respond. And so they think maybe God's too busy or he doesn't care. And so I'm not going to bother and ask him. And that really not only limits their understanding of God, but it diminishes the power that their prayers have as well. Listen to me. If you struggle with asking God for something, let me just say this to you, and it's very important, and I want you to take it home and think about it throughout the week, is the greatest tragedy in life is not that prayers go unanswered, but that for so many of us, our prayers just simply go unasked. Right? You can't get mad at God for not answering a prayer that you are never willing to pray. It's not that prayers go unanswered. It's that for so many of us, prayer goes unasked. Jesus says like this, you have not because you ask nots. And so when we ask, what happens is God, he begins to answer. God, he begins to move. And God, he begins to work in our lives. But sometimes we become so paralyzed with fear that we don't ask God, but Paul's not paralyzed with that fear. Paul's just right in here. He said, I'm praying to God, my father, that my brothers and sisters, they're going to be filled with strength. They're going to be filled with courage. They're going to be filled with the fullness of the power of God through the Holy Spirit and that Christ might richly dwell in their hearts. And I know that my God's going to answer those prayers. And so I'm going to pray those prayers boldly. I ain't afraid to ask God because I know I have a relationship with him and I know that God is going to move on behalf of my friends. He's not afraid to ask. Do not be afraid to ask God for the desires that are within your hearts. Number one, prayer is personal. Number two, prayer is relational. It's also asking. Number three, prayer is yearning. Look what he says here. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The dictionary defines the word yearning because it's not really a word we use very often. I haven't heard it come up in conversation. Nobody's like, I've been really just yearning to go to Chick-fil-A. I just have, I just, people don't say like yearning very often. 
right? Um, but here's what it means. A feeling of intense longing for something. This is what our heart towards God should be. Like you're not gonna see answers to prayer until you get this desperate. Because what's gonna happen is this, is you're gonna try to do everything on your own. Because we can turn to the world for a lot of different things. We can get a better job. We can budget our money better. We can save better. We don't really need God whenever we have, you know, all of these different things. When we have television and Netflix and Hulu and HBO Go and all these different things, we don't need God to satisfy because we're being satisfied by other things. We don't need God to deliver us because we're the ones who are putting ourselves in bondage. And so until God becomes the only thing, you're going to look for anything to be able to meet that need that only God can meet in your life. Until you get to a place where you're so desperate for the presence of God, so desperate for the spirit of God, so desperate for answers, so desperate from his wisdom, so desperate for those things, then you're going to look for those things in other places. This is why addiction, this is why... Um, pornography, this is why alcoholism, and this is why workaholicism, this is why all of these different things show up in people's lives, because you're looking somewhere else to satisfy and meet that inner longing and need that only God can meet in your life. This is why it says, I prayed that they would be filled with the fullness and the measure of God that surpasses all knowledge, because God is greater, God is better, God is stronger, God is mightier, and God is more powerful than anything else in the world. And until you get to that place to where God is all you have, you're going to look in other places to be able to satisfy that intense longing inside of your soul. And this is what prayer does. Prayer, it, it, it creates a yearning for God in your life. Do you want more of God? Here's what you need to do. Just pray more. Yes. It's that simple. If you want to get to know God better, spend time with him. If you want to be filled with the fullness of God, you got to put yourself in the position to receive from God. It's about finding yearning. And then the, the next thing is this, is that prayer is expecting. It's expecting that God would move. Here, here's how he says this. Now to him who is able. Who is able? He is. God is the one who is able. Now to him who is able to do far more, how much more? Far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. Now listen, I, I want to say, have you ever been watching on TV and you see the ad for maybe like some medicine you're, you're going through and they're like, here, try this medicine. It could cure you of indigestion. Oh, by the way, here's the big long list of all the qualifiers that go along with it. Yeah, your stomach might hurt, but side effects would be, and they read the list really fast. They're like, it could cause your like arm to fall off, your head could swell, right? Oh, and you could die. Right, you, you go through the big long list of qualifiers. Do not take this if you're nursing or have a pulse, like whatever it is. Um, that big long list. Listen, Paul doesn't give us a list of qualifiers. He doesn't say, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than you can ask, unless, unless you really had a bad week and yelled at your kids this week. He just says, you can do far more abundantly unless you go to church two times and you go to first Wednesday prayer night and you never miss a tie. And he doesn't do that. He doesn't, God can do far more unless you read the passion translation. 
He doesn't, he doesn't do that. No, what does he say? God can do far more abundantly than you can ask or imagine. And there is no qualifiers along with it. Anyone and everyone can go to him at any moment in any time and they can ask and they can expect that they will receive from God. Jesus even talks about this as well. Jesus says, go to your father and pray and believe that God, your father, who hears you in secret, he will answer your prayers. There is no list of qualifiers that go along with it. And it's not because there's prayers that are too big or prayers that are too small. He doesn't say, I can heal headaches, but I can't heal cancer. He doesn't say, I could give new jobs, but I can't pay off debt. He doesn't say, I can restore marriages. Oh, but I can't fix that communication problem that you're going through. He doesn't give this big list of qualifiers for who's worthy and unworthy and what prayer is too big and what prayer is too small. Here's what he just says. He says, ask and believe that I will answer. That's it. Ask and believe that God is going to answer. But here's what happens is that we get afraid. We get afraid to ask these prayers. Why? Because what if he doesn't? What if I pray this prayer and I look foolish? What if he doesn't answer? That's a valid question. I mean, I feel that in my own heart. This is why I prayed such safe and small prayers for the beginning of our church. Like I was too afraid to, to pray, God, I want a church that's, that, that, that has its own space. And I, I believe in for a church that's going to have a thousand people. And I'm believing for a church that we're going to plant 10 campuses all across Interstate 10. No, here's what I prayed. God, I just hope somebody shows up this week. That was the prayer that I prayed. My, my prayers were, God, if we could just find a little place to rent month to month and we can get a little group of people and maybe I make enough money to where I don't have to work two jobs in order to provide for my family and maybe I could just get a little measle, little paycheck where I could just live month by month and the church would be fine. Maybe that, that was all I prayed for. And you know what? It only took God about two years to answer all those prayers. And you think, well, Byron, God answered your prayers. Yeah, he did. But what if I would have prayed bigger prayers? What would, I, what would the church look like if I prayed bolder prayers? What if the church would look like if I prayed prayers that scared me, but I was too scared to pray those prayers? And so I prayed comfortable, safe prayers. I actually prayed prayers that I'd need God to answer. I could answer them on my own with a Facebook ad, people outside in the parking lot, reshares on Instagram, I could answer those prayers for myself. And we planted a church that didn't need God to show up. And that's just not a church I want to be a part of. That's just not what I'm looking for. That's just not what the church I want to be a part of. And we get so scared to pray prayers because we don't expect that God was actually going to answer those prayers. And so when it comes to healing, we say, well, I just don't know if God's going to heal that person. I just don't know if God wants to heal me. And so we tell God no before we ever even give him a chance to say yes. Say, so I just, you know, I just think this is too big. And what if I do pray for this? And what if I do pray for this promotion at my work and God doesn't give it to me? Then I feel like I'm gonna be so disappointed. What if, what if he doesn't do it? Okay, that's great, but let me flip the script. What if he does? I mean, you could ask, what if he doesn't? That's fine. But how do you ask yourself this question? But what if he does? Listen, it's your job to pray. It's God's job to answer. Right? It's not a reflection on you if God doesn't. No, no, it's God's job to answer. It's his reputation that's on the line, not yours. And so it's just your job to pray. It's God's job to answer. I love what Martin Luther, the great reformer, he says is pray and let God worry about it. Just pray and let God figure out the details. 
You, your finite little brain cannot understand the quantum mechanics of this universe and the supernatural unseen realm. So why don't you just go ahead and pray and let God figure out the details around it, have enough faith to reach out, to call out and to pray and to believe that God's gonna answer. Prayer is about expecting that we serve a big God who does big things and that is far more abundantly able to do more than we ask or that we imagine. It's God's job to answer the prayers. It's just your job to pray. Isn't that freeing? He just says, pray and let me answer. Pray and let me respond. Pray and let me figure out the details. God is far more abundantly able to do more than we ask or more than we think. Which leads to the last point is this, is that prayer is, is revealing. Here's how he says it as he closes Ephesians 3. He says, to him, to who? To you? No. The glory is not for you. You can't bear that weight. Who gets the glory from a church that prays? To him be the glory in the church and Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. The glory of God is revealed through the story of the church. Think about the church. Think about what we're doing together today. For 2,000 years, Ordinary men and women like you, empowered by an extraordinary source and the supernatural move of God through prayer, have single-handedly transformed and changed the world forever. Not by might, not by power, but through prayer. Not through force, but through faith. Ordinary people like you and me have single-handedly transformed and changed the world forever. God's glory is revealed through the church. This is why God desires a praying church, because the more we pray, the more his glory is revealed, not only in this congregation, but in the city that we live in, in the nation that we call home, and all across the world. It's God's glory that is revealed through the story of the church. So every time God shows up and moves in your life, he gets the glory, and people take a look around. They say, what's happening downtown? What's happening there? God must be alive. There is something that doesn't make sense about it because it's prayer that is creating the X factor that is causing the church to grow. It is God's glory that is revealed through the church. And here's what he's praying. Paul says, I want my church to pray because when the church learns to pray, that's when God's glory will be revealed through the church. It's revealing. It's revealing of our hearts. Prayer reveals our attitudes. Prayer reveals our wants. Prayer reveals our desires. Prayer reveals who we are. And when our hearts are aligned with God's hearts, then it reveals the kingdom of God in the city that we live in. And so why do we want to be a church that prays? Because we want to be a church, like the book of Habakkuk says, that we want, the, we want the glory of God to hover across this city in the same way that water covers the ocean. That's our prayer, for the glory of God to be manifest, for the glory of God to be on display, for the glory of God to be revealed in the heart of downtown Beaumont and beyond. This is why our vision statement is this. We exist to see a gospel center movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, a child can experience life change through Jesus that can only be answered by prayer, that can only be accomplished when the church learns to pray, that can only be done by prayer. And prayer is what reveals the glory of God. And so I want to close as we move into our final portion with this, with this quote from a man named Leonard Ravenhill. 
I'm not sure if you are familiar with, he, he wrote a book called Why Revival Tarries. It's actually one of my, my favorite books. And he, he writes this quote and he says, no man is greater than his prayer life. Do you want to see God do something wonderful in your life? It comes through prayer. Do you want to see God do something great? It comes through prayer. Do you want to see God do something that only you couldn't even ask, think, or imagine in your life? That comes when you learn to pray. No one is greater than their prayer life. But I would say it this way. No church is greater than its prayer life. If as a church we want to see us renovate and move into that new space, it's only going to happen when we pray. If we want to see it full on first Sunday, it's going to be when we pray. If you want to see that seat next to you with, filled with somebody's name that you know, it's going to happen when you learn how to pray. No man is greater than the prayer life, but no church is greater than its prayer life. And so I personally want to say thank you so much for coming out to First Wednesday and praying with us. Because it's you who is really just, through your prayers, motivating and encouraging and causing the church to be able to reveal the glory of God in the city that we live in. So what is prayer? Prayer is a couple of different things. Number one, prayer is personal. Prayer is relational. Prayer is asking. Prayer is yearning. Prayer is expecting. And prayer is revealing the glory of God in the city.